I recently heard this quote, everyone's irresponsibility eventually becomes someone else's responsibility. And that's just true, isn't it? Whether you were on the giving or receiving end of that, it's just true. Everyone's irresponsibility eventually becomes someone else's responsibility. And the decisions we make, for good or bad, always fall on others, don't they? It's all part of relationship. I mean, if I'm true to my marriage vows and stay faithful, those decisions fall in a good way on all sorts of people. Likewise, if I decide to step out and be sexually unfaithful, it just doesn't hurt me. Now that decision falls on my wife and my kids, my grandkids, my family, not to mention my ministry, friendships, and on and on and on. Like dominoes, every decision you and I make, big or small, every decision eventually falls on someone else and someone else and someone else. That's the domino effect. So I'm going to shoot straight. I don't care for preaching. I never have. I think you can probably tell from this podcast that I like conversation, the back and forth interactive way of communicating and sitting, listening to someone spout off for 30 minutes about what Jesus wants me to do. That never cut it for me until the spring of 2009, shortly after my son Ben proposed to Jim Bergen's daughter, Allie. I guess this all starts when I decided to go to Milligan College back in 1979 that would probably be the first domino. That's where I met my wife Amy, and that's where we first bumped into Jim and his wife Robin. And the Jim Bergen I knew back then, well, that was back in Jim's, quote, dragon days. He hung with the party and drinking crowd, and I hung with the mischievous prankster crowd. So when I learned that Jim had become a pastor, my first thought was, really? I guess God really can change lives. Then let's go to July 3rd, 2009. That's when Ben and Allie set their wedding date. And around February 2009, I decided I needed to gut it out and just try to listen to a sermon of Jim's, you know, hoping to learn something about what the Bergens have been up to in the 30-year gap since we'd last seen them. Now, this isn't an exaggeration or an, an effort to be overly dramatic. This is just true. It changed my life. I sat in my office in Texas and watched the most recent message that had been posted by Flatirons that February, and I was blown away. It was the last message in a series. When it ended, I immediately went back and I watched the entire series. Now remember, I hate preaching, but Jim wasn't preaching. No, he was talking. And he was talking to me, striking a chord I had longed for for my entire life as a follower of Jesus. Jim simply talked. He didn't preach. Like like we were sitting across from each other at the dinner table or sharing a beer. He talked. He talked about life and the mistakes he'd made and his need for grace in a place that was chasing after truth, real truth. And sitting alone in my office in Allen, Texas, 
living in the destruction and aftermath of some really bad financial decisions, feeling lost and broken, I found something. I found a new church home online, a place of grace and truth reaching out to me, the lost and broken. And another domino fell. Fast forward to Ben and Allie's wedding that July, where Jim and I connected in person, and where I buried him with questions about church and leadership and broken faith. I inundated him with questions, looking to fill my toolkit to take back home to our church in Texas. Now, I make no excuses for this. Jim and I hit it off immediately, an instant connection. I mean, our whole family connected that week of the wedding. And as Amy and I drove back to Texas, we thought, this is great. We actually like our son's in-laws. What a neat little turn of events. And the domino fell. Then, three weeks before Easter of 2010, I received a text from out of the blue from Jim. Now, we hadn't talked or communicated at all in like half a year. His text read, Will you and Amy fly up here for Easter? We want to talk to you about being our men's pastor. Can't talk now. I'm at a Nuggets game. I'll call you tomorrow at 8. Typical Bergen. And another domino dropped. And they've been dropping ever since. So, those are the dominoes that have fallen in my life that lead us up to today. And Jim Bergen joins us to talk about some of the dominoes that have fallen in his life and how they've fallen on others and the grace and mercy he's seen and experienced on his journey. Domino Effect with Pastor Jim Bergen. This is Flatirons Men's Community Pastor Dan Foote and this is Wake Up Call, the Flatirons Podcast for Men. You know, talking about Domino Effect, I because you fell like a domino at my house one time um yeah <laughs> it was so yeah so <laughs> so it's so funny it's like I, yeah. I ended up i broke my nose all right and yeah so, so people were like uh dude, dude how'd you break your nose and i i, I want to say a bar fight <laughs> or somebody stepped in front of my wife and i, I made it right but we were playing lo- loaded, loaded questions. questions. Yeah, and, and we were playing it the way we play it. Yeah, so this is a theme, and it's just very uh, inappropriate. Yeah, Jesus probably would have gone. Um, <laughs> I'm not a part of this. <laughs> so Jesus did say, I'm not "Yeah, this. yeah, he took me out." So <laughs> the question, I'm not going to say the question. Yeah, but, thank you. But, but my daughter Allie, so I, your, your dining room table, the backside is right against the wall, and so uh-huh. I'm in the corner. There are two chairs either direction I go to get out, okay? So the question was asked, and then my daughter, Allie, she read the answer, which, um, pray for Allie. <laughs> she and her mom sometimes, again, are just nothing like our Lord Jesus. And so she said something, and I had just taken a drink of Breck. Remember it? Yeah. And I had a full— and we we uh, had a great dinner. Oh, yeah, you made pasta. And, yeah. And, I mean, I was so good. And, I, and, and it had started to swell, right? <laughs> And so I, you're directly across from me. Yeah, and and the, so the game spread out there, and I and again I, I just took a step of, of, of Breck and um, and she said that, and I got I laughed and I got choked, and it wasn't just choked like I, I can't breathe, I'm going to vomit, 
And so I got, I got to get out of here or I'm going to vomit on my daughter and everybody because I have a, I know how full my stomach is. All yeah. right. And so I took like two steps trying to get there as fast. I stood up really fast, took two steps towards your bathroom down the hall. And that's all I remember. And the next thing I hear is, Jim, Jim, Jim. <laughs> and I'm like, get off of me. She goes, I'm not, it's Robin yelling. I'm not on you. And I had, you have that vagus, vagus nerve that goes all the way down. So when you stand up too fast, it just shuts your heart down to kind of equalize everything. And so I blacked out. <laughs> yeah. And I, the, my momentum carried me into the bathroom, smashed my yeah, face on right your... Right into my, to- my toilet uh, roll yeah, rack. Yeah, thing. your toilet paper roll came off, I yeah. think, with part of my face. My <laughs> ear, my nose was smashed against my left cheek with by the toilet bowl. And I, Robin, I was pinned between the wall and the on toilet. On your stomach, on just my stomach. face down. Yeah. I hear later that your wife Amy is running in circles in the living room because yeah. you all think I'm dead. I did. I'm Because you got to... What happens when you... you Allie read the, read the answer, you laughed, and then all of a sudden stood up. Your eyes were like saucers, and ran, you ran down the hallway. We're all laughing. We're going, what's, what's going on? It, it all happened so quick, yeah. and then it sounded like someone threw a bag of cement in the bathroom. That'd be my face. Yep. And uh, so Robin's saying, Jim, Jim, Jim. I'm wedged in there. I think she's standing on me. I don't know why. I'm like, yell, get off. And then Allie's behind her going, don't yell at Dad. <laughs> <laughs> because she, right? And she goes, I'm not yelling. So now we're yelling in the bathroom. And I, I kind of pick my face up like six inches, and it's just blood and spaghetti. That's all it is. And so then I roll over and lean against the wall, and you you lean down and go, Oh, buddy. Yeah. Because my, my nose was in my ear, pretty much. You had a 90 degree angle yeah. in the center of your, your nose bridge. Yeah. So we made two calls. Let's go to the emergency room, and will you call Scott and ask him to preach? Because yeah. I can't. <laughs> And we spent New Year's Eve together in the emergency room. Yep. So, dude, how'd you break your nose? Uh, I I was playing a game with my family. I took a drink of bourbon. <laughs> I took two steps and smashed my face on the toilet. Yeah. yeah. Were, were you wasted? No. Nope. Nope. I just... Full of pasta. Uh, got choked. Yeah. It wasn't cool. I wish I had cooler things to be ashamed of. Yeah, but um, it's, it's, it's a memory that we all have that I'll keep forever. And maybe we'll even throw the picture up on the podcast page. I have pictures of you, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that you talk about, I'm going to say semi-regularly, is how, I think if I get the quote right, you have shared that you've never had an affair with a woman, but you did with your job. Mm -hmm. So expound on that a little bit for us. So in in context, I think it it all points to when when you don't feel like you can do something you run to something that you feel like well that'll that'll make me feel good or that will make me feel enough or that'll make me feel like I'm a good good at something and a lot of a lot of times I think as men we we just feel like we're failing at home so Robin was Robin's fighting migraines and bipolar disorder. And, and what year was this? Like, uh, how, like, marriage wise, how many years in the marriage were you? Yeah. Kids, all that. Yeah. So, um, so Robin is, she's always had, uh, bouts of depression, things like that. And even in her testimony or in the Dragon's Book stuff, like we talk about, you know, she, she got into counseling and she started dating me, uh, in college. <laughs> But we, we thought some of that was because of delayed uh, mourning for her father who had passed away when she was 14. Right. And because she was kind of taking care of a lot of things. Uh, her mom. And- yeah, her mom was going through a hard time. And so Robin took on a, a caretaker role with that. So she never really had a chance to, to mourn 
the death of her, of her dad. So start, a lot of that started coming up in college. And so we just thought it was that. And Robin's always been really highly, I mean, she was voted uh, most bubbly in our college, most dynamic, most, per, you know, whatever right. you want to call it. That's the Robin yeah. that I knew. Oh, yeah. She, she taught me. Uh, I, I was voted. Uh, we were both voted. We were voted preppiest couple in college. Really? Yeah, because we were fun. I mean, we did our first date. We we did uh, gymnastics in the field house. I mean, we just had fun. We were on the swim team together. We, and we were, what was the one of the first conversations you had? Was it swim practice or something? She said, "You want to you want to play otter or something?" Oh, like play sea otter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did. And uh, what is that? It's where you swim around uh, without your arms and you just make. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, listeners, I just made an otter face, and uh, <laughs> but it's just it was just fun. We were just playing yeah. in the pool, and then I walked her to dinner and and asked her out. But preppiest couple that was back in the eighties. That's oh, back with the Izod yeah. shirts flipped up underneath yeah. the sweater, uh, and, uh, underneath a button down, underneath yeah. a sweater. So you and had every, that. Everything had mallards on it, or every, I mean, yeah, she taught me how to do that. You had Doc. What, what are the Doc Martens? Doc Martens? No, we had shoes. Uh, no, yeah, we had uh, topsiders. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, what are they called? Duck boots. Yes. Everything was L.L. Bean. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so she, she told me, but she was fun. And then, so then we got married, and she also taught me how to fight. I didn't know how to fight. My family didn't really do a lot of conflict. What was the first fight you had? Oh, gosh. I, I don't know, but in the middle of our fights, she would go, stop. What are we fighting about? Do you, do you know what we're fighting about? And finally, I'd go, I don't. I just want this to be over. And then she would say, oh, we're fighting about this. I'm like, okay. And then we'd, we'd fight some more. Because my family just kind of went to different corners of the house. Yeah. And we never worked through conflict. And Robin was very it was out there. So then, so her her, her uh, emotions are always out there. And then after we got married, we had Allie. And, uh, and pretty quickly. 18 months after we were married, we had a baby. Yeah. So nine months after we were married, we found out she's pregnant. So, um, and then after that, we were just starting to hear about like postpartum and stuff like that, and so mm-hmm. we just thought that's what it was. But like, she was a high school teacher. I I I had to drive to her school and resign for her because she just couldn't go back. Yeah. And so, but then that right after Allie was what nine months old, we moved to Lexington, uh, Kentucky, from Greenville, Tennessee, and right. And so we moved up there, and then we had what church. Uh, we went to Southern Acres, a okay. church in Lexington, and I was a youth pastor there. And then we had Jordan. And that's when it really started hitting. So when Jordan was... Uh, After Jordan was born? Yeah. Yeah, but it was the same thing as when Allie was born. So a lot of depression and that bipolar. And a lot of things, the chemical stuff that's going on in a person's, in a woman's body, the thing that's been wanting to happen, that is the trigger that gets pulled. Right. Were the doctors saying, this is postpartum? Yeah, but they weren't even talking about that. It's, they just called it the, the blues. Oh. All right? Yeah. And, and nobody was paying attention. Robin has a lot of people in her family that were bipolar, manic... And they thought, well, no, no one really talked about it. So mm. we just, whatever. But then, <clears throat> so when Jordan was, I don't know, two or three years old, we moved to Louisville. And on Robin's 30th birthday, she was walking in for her first day at church in, at Southeast in, Christian in Louisville. And, and it was raining, and she was, there were thousands of people. And she just thought, why is everybody smiling? And, mm. and it was um, it was hard. Your first weekend there. Yeah, I think, I think so. And that, that started a bunch of... Uh, of different things and so but I was I had a new job at a at a, at a really dynamic church and uh, the, the church I just left the last thing the senior pastor had said to me is I, I don't think you should go there I, I, I don't I don't think you can do it what, what did that mean that you couldn't do the job yeah, yeah I'm going to this big church and probably I was getting it over my head and because southeast at this point was 
20,000, 25,000? No, it was probably six, 7,000, actually. But it was the biggest church in our you know, kind of right. network of churches. And so it was like the church. And so it was around six, 7,000 people, and which is huge, you know, if you go back right. 30 years ago. And so, um, so I, had, I, had to, I had to prove it. You know, mm-hmm. so me like, oh yeah, that's a challenge, and because I, I already knew all the jacked up stuff in my own head that says I shouldn't even be saved, let alone be right. a pastor at a, at a at a growing church. But when you said that, when you're talking about Robin walking in, it's raining. Yeah, why is everybody happy? And you said that set off a bunch of other stuff. What stuff did that set up or set off? Well, that's when the, the depression really started coming up. Okay. you know, and so it's manifesting itself, and so the darkness and the clouds and the and the going pulling the covers over your head and yeah. doing the best she could. There's a lot of pressure there to be to keep up with the stereotype oh, yeah. of what a pastor's wife is. That's just that's just the South. That's just the Bible Belt. And Rama couldn't play by those rules. Um, interestingly, excuse me, interesting enough, uh, Jesse DeYoung, his dad was on staff with me. Mm-hmm. Brett, Brett's since passed away. And What was uh, his role at that time? Well, um, it's so funny. I was in the interview press process, but he oversaw all adult ministries. Okay. And then eventually all adult ministries and youth ministries. So I actually hired my own boss. But Brett was my supervisor, and Brett protected me a lot. But I'd be like, I, I, I've got to go home. Like, yeah. my, and he would go, go. So he, had, he, he protected me a lot, and so I, I owe a lot to him. I had Jesse, yesterday was Father's Day, and I had Jesse up there, and I just took him aside, and I said, I'm not your dad, but I think he'd be okay with me standing in today because yeah. I love his dad. So, yeah. But he protected me a lot through that whole process of go, go, go. But I didn't do it well. So I had this thing of... Uh, I, I have to succeed, right? Because if I don't, I'm, something's going to fall apart. And so, how much did the guy back in Lexington stick in your head, going, mm-hmm. "I got to prove him wrong"? Um, because I really loved him, I, uh, I, I didn't really hold that against him. But I think he just fed into the other things that all men, but especially some men that have been hurt in the past, where they don't feel like they're enough or whatever. And, right. And that's a whole other probably podcast that. Um, You'll come back for. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I share, <laughs> I share some of it men's story. Uh, the, the reason I don't share it all is because there's people in my life that it would affect. That, right. That I'm just not going to blow up their life right now. Um, if I thought it would be best and healthy, I, I would do that. Yeah. But I don't think it's my job to go confess anybody else's sin if I haven't actually talked to them about it. Right. It just seems mean, you know. And so I'm, maybe it's just a, I'm, I'm afraid and rationalizing it. I don't know. But... Um, but I had a lot of things going, you're not enough, you're not enough, and you, you're in over your head. And, and you got to prove it. i got to prove it. And so you look around, and, and, and I was in a, in a church culture, which is a corporate culture. A lot of men are going to understand. It's, it's no different. So you can say, well, you work for a church. I bet everybody sings Kumbaya. It's cutthroat. Right. I mean, they're just like in just, – I was just having a conversation with uh, somebody at another church who says uh, they, they lead worship at a church in another state. And they said, every time I get up there, I know if I make a mistake, there's somebody who's going to take my knees out and try to take my job as a worship leader. It's no different if you work mm. in a bank or an oil company, oil and gas company, or if you work in, it doesn't matter. There is there's there is a shark behind you. Right. right. Remember we went on a shark dive and mm-hmm. and you, they disappear and then you turn around and they're right there. Yeah. Right? There's a, I don't care what you're in, whether it be that church or business, or corporate, Big, small. There, there's always, and even if, even if they're not really there, in your mind they are. Yeah. Right. Sure. So you and create, they're bigger. Right. And let's be honest. There's part of you looking at other people going, "I could do it better than you." And if you fail, I'm the shark. I'm the shark. Yeah. You know. And I, I wish that wasn't true in Christianity. 
you know, but it it is. Yeah. And I think you have to keep that out in front of you and, and things like that and confess it over and over. But so I so I'm going through all this and so Robin's sick and I don't know how to I don't know how to fix this. I can fix anything, pretty much, you know. I, if I work hard enough, put enough effort at it, stuff like that. And so I didn't know how to do that. I shared uh, Father's Day weekend at Flatterns that financially I was a mess. Right. You know, because I was trying to keep my kids in private Christian school. Because uh, you felt like you had to. I was told that that would be a suggested thing to do. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't afford that. Robin's mom helped us tremendously financially. Our kids went to camp. Our kids had school clothes. Our kids had Christmas because Robin's mom. Mm. Um, provided that for us, but I kept on going and going and going and going, and we made dumb. I, I led us in some really dumb mistakes too. Yeah. It's like I, I actually bought the red shiny car in the sh- in the showroom. <laughs> Did you? That's the most impractical thing ever. But oh, it's so red. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I probably leased it. I don't know. I, anyway, um, even worse, yeah. even worse mistake, right? Yeah. So I, I didn't feel like I was being a very good husband or leader of my family or provider, but I was amazing youth pastor yeah you know and and i was getting a lot of attaboys and pats on the backs and accolades and and you know i would walk through a hallway and people would tell me you're you're awesome you're changing my life you you get me you understand and i would go home and uh fail i felt like i was failing because i couldn't Mm. fix it right yeah but i I think that people have this uh glamorous life or picture in their head of uh, of any pastor, but especially like now, right? I, I bet Jim goes home and, and Robin and I were laughing about this the other day because like, um, which Stouffer's uh, <laughs> meal am I going to microwave? <laughs> right? It, that's that's that was Sunday lunch, you know. Yeah. It's like and that's not a slam on Robin or anything like that. It's like it's just it's just whatever. Yeah. But I think people would be you know how much tuna. Uh, tuna casserole I've eaten in my life which is macaroni and cheese with a can of tuna mm-hmm. and I call that casserole <laughs> I still kind of like that though I'll be honest with you my son's favorite meal still is hamburger helper I know that I love it and I like the I like the craft macaroni and cheese with chicken not the tuna chicken? yeah canned chicken yeah mm-hmm. and then you throw a little bit of franks in there perfect no no I can't do that why not? I don't I don't well fire. everybody's different everybody's got their own taste no, you're wrong. You're not different. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, everybody gets a medal. No, you're wrong, Dan. Okay, so anyway, I'm, so I feel like I'm failing a lot of fronts. Yeah. I I am really good at my job, all right. Yeah. And and I didn't know how to fix, you know, Robin. So, uh, here's an example of how. Yeah, there's some stuff you can still bring up, and and you just kind of like I can't believe I did that. Like, on, so I got to get the math here on Robin's birthday. Which birthday? I don't know. Uh, so it was probably the. F- it was probably the second year we were living in Louisville, so maybe thirty-one, thirty-two. So how old are, are Allie and Jordo? Um, elementary school, or just like kindergarten, third grade, something like that. Yeah. Um, Robin calls me, and I find her between the bed and the wall. Yeah. Her head hurts, and she's so depressed she wants to die. But it's Wednesday, and we have Wednesday night church. Yeah. And it's her birthday. And so I called a friend and said, can you come get the kids? And then I took Robin to a hospital, and they put her into the uh, mental care wing. And then I left her, and I went, and I taught youth group. Mm. You have shared that. That's actually one of the most watched 
uh, messages still up online because, uh, and I'm for me personally, back in Texas when before I came up here, um, I'm listening, watching online, and that message was profound for me because Robin got up and shares her testimony, telling about that day, yeah. and then you. After she gets done with her testimony, you share what you were feeling and what you thought. Do you remember what you say? Well, I, I know initially I didn't share what maybe you're talking about because um, I, I kind of came off in the initial presentation as like husband of the year. I went into work mode, function mode, did the washing, right. did the dishes, did the house, did the grocery shopping, took the kids to school, picked the kids up from school, went to every ball game, every soccer game, stuff like that. I came off as like, oh. Man, you're so brave. I had pastors actually look, look at me and go, I'm really proud of you for stick, hanging in there with Robin. And actually, it really pisses me off because like, what, did you want me to bail? Yeah. But I, I, would never, I would never bail. She did, I do remember her laying between the wall and the uh, bed sometimes and uh, going, ah, I just wish I would die because then everybody's life would just be easier. And I was like, on the outside, I'd go, no, babe, no, 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 no. On the inside, I thought... Yeah, it would be, mm. you know, and it's just fleeting. I didn't dwell sure. on it, stuff no. like that, but it's like, I get it, you know. Mm -hmm. On Father's Day, I, I, I shared on finances, you know, Robin had a friend that committed suicide a few weeks ago, and and like, I used to like, how could someone do that? And, and then you realize, when you feel like you're such a failure and nothing's ever going to get better anytime. Right. Like, like, there is no light at the end of the tunnel. It's just more tunnel. Right, mm -hmm. and then you feel like you know what? all I have to do is just jerk the steering wheel to the right. Yep. Last minute, I probably won't even feel it, and then everything in your mind, they'll be okay without you. You know, stuff like that. And that's I felt. She felt that, and then that seemed like a better alternative than just like walking away. You know, God taught me a lot through it. You right. know, like like I don't think everybody should go on a mission trip in, in certain seasons of life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I went on a mission trip to run away from home, and I left Robin curled up in a ball, and I went and saved the world. Yeah, I can't tell you. I can tell you one name on that trip that I went off to Africa and India. You know, and I'm not in contact with any of those people. My wife was crying uh, on a bed, curled up in a ball, begging me not to go. As I walked out the door, yeah, that, that's that's called really bad husband, right? So, but I got back. I got a raise. Mm, it got rewarded. So let me ask you this: in the thick of that storm, did you recognize this in the middle of it, or? Meaning that this what did you did you recognize this is really not the best thing for my family, but I need to do my job. This is what's feeding me. Yeah, I would like to say no. Just in, no. I think there's always there's always because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you going, hey buddy, mm -hmm. this this is not don't do this. You actually believe you actually believe it's not true. It's a, it's a lie. You actually believe you don't have an option. You have to go. Right. You have to go to work. You have to make the money. You have to do whatever your boss says. You have to do this because this is what you just have to do. What do you want me to do? Mm -hmm. You know, quit? Then, then there's no money. There's no medicine. Right. There's no house. There's no school. There's no school clothes. There's no, now we didn't go on vacations. We went on mission trips, you know. So it's like, what do you want me to do? I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go to work and and I'm good at it, at least. Mm -hmm. And so, for a few hours a day, I would I could go away and uh, and feel like I was actually 
gaining ground when I come home because it was such a huge, it felt like winless situation. Now I can look back and go, it was a spiritual battle, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't feel like I was winning at all. So I just run away to something that actually. Where you won. Yeah. And I think when you say my affair was with that because some people, you know, some men or women, they go, I'm failing here, but at least when I have, you know, two hours in that hotel with them, I'm man of the year. Mm-hmm. Or, or when I can just, when I could just make it all go away for a few minutes. I know, I know the minute, I the minute that, you know, I don't know how to say this, you know. Go yeah. ahead and say it. Yeah. So I mean, you have sex with the wrong person. It's it is, it it it, it all that's great until the sex the second after that you know the big moment right right yeah. And then you roll over and a tsunami of guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's true with anything. That's true with porn. That's true right. with any, anything. Any, anything that you know is in the dark. It, it, it just seems so great. And then the second it's over, right? Right. And so you know, we're all running after stuff like that. But in the moment, I don't care. I just need, I need 10 minutes. I just need an hour where I can be Superman, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know that when the hour is up, I will actually be even a bigger pile of shit than I was when I walked in. But for I can pretend. And I think that's what affairs are. I think affairs with, with people, mm-hmm. you know? I even clarified that. I've, I'm not, remember I, when I told that, I said, I've had an affair with a woman or a man, you know, yeah. or a person. Because I think we're all looking for stuff in different ways. And I think, you know, I, I was talking to a counselor the other day, and I'm, I'm in counseling now. <laughs> so I'm in counseling now. Uh, <laughs> it's very expensive. It's worth it. But... He said, Jim, I don't think you're, what you're dealing with is sexual. I think it's spiritual. And I think, I think almost everything that we would go through and go, there's a spiritual component that we're trying to fix there. Yeah. A lot, for a lot of men, especially, it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel like it can be fixed sexually or financially or, uh, yeah, mostly that too, mm-hmm. those two, right? Yeah. And that's why, that's why we do things with our kids. I, I don't know how to make them, I don't know how to make sure that I'm a successful dad. So I will just, I will, t- I will, engage in a schedule that cannot be sustainable and pay for things I cannot afford because maybe then that'll prove that I love them. They believe I love them because my, my dad didn't do that for me. So if we're in 14 baseball tournaments or 13, you know, international cheerleading competitions, right. then you look back and go, okay, I, now I know you love me. And I've never met a little boy or a little girl who says, I'd love him if he would, you know, buy me, you know, better stuff. You know, it's like fathers in the field. Right. It's like none of them go, horseback riding changed my life i shot my first deer and because no they all go i don't i don't care what we do will you pick me up tomorrow like you said because nobody right. else will pick me up all right, right. And i think it's the same thing you know uh i we don't know how to do that so when i would go to robin i, I didn't know what to do and really she just needed me to be with her mm-hmm. like she said i just need you to sit on the couch and let me put my head in your lap and and just be in the room with me. She's still, she's still like that in a certain way. Like I want to go up to the cabin and cut wood and, you know, do all this weird yeah. stuff up there and shoot skeet and go hunt and stuff like that. Because I know if I come home, she's going to go upstairs and, and, and whatever, and I'm going to be downstairs. But for some reason, she loves having me in the same house with her, whether we're engaged in conversation. Yeah. When, we're not having any more conversation when I'm at the cabin than when I'm downstairs. She needs my presence in her life, mm-hmm. all right? I, that's not how dudes work, you know? Right. But for some reason, that's really, really meaningful to her. Like, 
I was going to go up to the cabin later today, and she goes, can you, can you just stay home today? And I was like, I want to go, uh-huh, yep, <laughs> I can. Yeah. I can. So, I mean, I'm, when, when I don't feel powerful or successful, then I will look around for the one thing that will pat me on the back and go, no, you're really good at something. For me, uh, I get that at church even a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, but we talk about, I, I talk about emails a lot from the front. Please understand, 99% of the emails are encouraging and, right. and give, hey, thanks for that. And you, you, I, I love how you said that, you know. One out of a hundred you know, are you're a false teacher and yeah. you're an ass and you're arrogant and you don't understand problems and how could you say that and ignore this group of people over here and stuff like that? I, you know what? That's the one I'm going to sit in my chair at home and go, well, maybe, 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 I'm right. not, maybe I'm not good at this, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. because I said it the wrong way, yeah. you know, and I have said things the wrong way. I, I don't even mind people, you know, saying, hey, when you, like, if you go back a few weeks ago, I'm, I tried to, <laughs> some of you men are, Probably, I tried to. I, I had an illustration I learned in Africa where Simon compared a, a man's penis mm-hmm. to his spiritual life. All right, it was, it was the most wonderful parable, metaphor, whatever in context. I tried to kind of, I started to say force it in. <laughs> that's the wrong. That's the wrong wording for that metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had this penis thing. I tried to force it in. It just wouldn't work. And uh, this is men's podcast, right? Yep. Primarily, sorry, ladies, because I know. Anyway, um, uh, I didn't connect the application of those two stories very well. It ended up being more distracted, and I wish I could go back and not not have taught that. Yeah. And I got I got an email from a man who said he'd never come back to our church again. But then I got a couple emails going, "Hey, uh, so you know, when you made that reference like that." Uh, just be like they were encouraging ones, yeah. Encourage you know, corrective ones, and I, and they were right. I, I'm gonna pay attention to all of them because there's some truth either I'm not communicating well, or could have communicated better, or maybe just should have left out. There's something I can glean from all that, but I go to I'm not a good teacher, too often. Yeah. yeah. So let's go back just a little bit. When did you feel, or have you reached the point where you feel like you've gotten this under control? Meaning this balancing home life with life at church, mm-hmm. being Pastor Jim. Have you? Do you feel like you've gotten this under control? Yeah. Uh, when did that happen? So, you know, I I remember going to conferences and stuff like that. And every industry has their, their group of conferences where somebody who's arrived stands up there and said, "If I could do things different." Mm-hmm. And I always complete that sentence with, you wouldn't be leading a conference, <laughs> you know, because you did it wrong. Yeah. And now you can look back. It's like, ah, I wish I would not have invested in, you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, I wish I would have invested in, you know, Apple sooner. All right. It's like, <laughs> shut up. Yeah. All right. So anyway, so so part of it is, it's, there's some people going to listen to this going, well, yeah, now. Yeah. Now you don't have kids at home. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I I think that you know when when my when Jordan so both my son and daughter have gone to Crucible or Soul Beauty yeah all right and and it really in really uh, gracious kind ways the the stuff they worked through was Dad where were you mm. you know and same with Robin because mine was workaholism. 
and running off and doing that. And Robin's was, she just couldn't. Right. She was sick. You know, she never made her kids take care of her. She's, she goes, if, if I don't do anything, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the best mom I can. I can't be a very good Christian. I can't be a very good wife. I can't go to church. I, you know, I, I can't, I can't go to the programs. But when my kids come home, they will not take care of me. And so she's been really, she's a champion, right? She's mm-hmm. really strong. Um, but, you know, when she's in bed, she's just not there. Yeah. And so I've got Jordan dealing with isolation because I'm at work and mom's in bed and he's in the backyard by himself. And then I have Allie making deals with God. God, if you'll just, you know, what am I doing wrong that you're not hearing my prayer about mom not being sick anymore? Right. So she went right to, there's something wrong with her. And so so I, we look in the rearview mirror and I, mean, I think all parents go, I think I've totally effed up my kids, you know? Mm-hmm. Every parent does. Every parent does. And in some, at some level, we do. Yep. Because we're doing the best we can. And then that falls on our kids. I remember telling somebody on staff one time, hey, yeah, your dad screwed you up. You're going to screw up your kids. And he's like, oh, well, then what's the use? Like, you know, I'm like, what do you mean? It's the journey, yeah. you know? And then your kid will screw up his kid because we're all broken. You know, this is why we need Jesus and Jesus can bring it all, all back together. But looking back, I've seen how that's fallen on my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, both my kids love Jesus. They, they're in good marriages, you know, and my daughter's married to, she's, uh, uh, he's all right. Uh, he's amazing. He's amazing. It's because of the, his father. He's fertile. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Number five on the way. That's right. But anyway, um, when did this all start coming together? Yeah. You know, so, uh, for, I think for some reason, for some people, for some men, it would have come together earlier because uh, Robin wasn't strong enough to fight back. Yeah. So I just got away with a lot, mm. you know. Luckily, I have enough guilt and shame in my life that I didn't go too far off the rails and start <laughs> of wandering off, you know. So yeah. uh, there's different things that keep us on track and we love to say it's love of wife and love of Jesus stuff like that and sometimes it's just fear of mm-hmm. whatever fill in the blank okay yeah. and then, and that's why you go home or that's why you don't go have an affair or that's why you don't go rob a bank whatever it is one of the first um, real sticky things that you said to me in just a private conversation uh, are you, really, you going to betray that really uh huh okay dive buddy um, <laughs> we were when I came up to interview mm-hmm. and um, after Seeing you at Flatirons, all these people, all it just it just happens. You know, you get up there, you share God's truth. It changes people's hearts and lives, and and that's the Holy Spirit doing it. But you're the agent that it comes through, and so a lot of that's directed toward you. We were coming back from the gym, and I asked you. I I, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I asked, "What keeps you? What has kept you from that string? Well, all that." And you remember what you said? You said. I can't put myself in that room. Does that ring a bell now? Yeah. Go ahead. Tell me in your words what you said. Yeah. So whatever sin or whatever road I decide to go down, on the other end of that road is sitting on the edge of the bed or on the couch uh, with my kids and saying, I have to tell you something. Um, life is going to be it's, it's going to be different from now on because I made a a choice. I would probably call it a mistake, mm-hmm. but I made a choice, you know, that I've rehearsed. Like, so when I got my first big tattoo on my arm, I told Robin I was getting a tattoo. I did not tell her the extent. And then I, <laughs> then I posted it. And then Robin's, I, I remember I was at a, at a board meeting in Louisville for Sozo and Robin said, what, what, what's that? Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? She just that, that tattoo. I said, I told you I was getting a tattoo. She goes, no, 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 no. That's, 
that's a lot. And I'm like, yeah, but it's my story. And she goes, well, I think we should have talked about that. I mean, we're, you know, like, we're one, you know, we're like yeah. one flesh. And, you, and I was like, no, 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 this is my story. And she's, okay. And I went, no. Listen, now I'm gonna, every time I look at him, I'm going to think that it's going to remind me of this conversation and not my journey back towards Christ. He goes, no, no, I don't, I don't want that. But then we worked through it. And then I remember hanging up and going, so I had to have a hard conversation about a tattoo on my arm. Yeah. I, 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 I rehearsed it, you know, to sit down on a couch and going, hey, um, Rob, um, yeah, so I had sex with. Or I'm in, I think I'm in love with someone else. Or just sit down with my kids and, and go. So, and, and so many men have had to do this. Not, mm-hmm. not hacked. So many men have done this. That they have to sit there and look at their kids and go, you know, so I love you. And, and, I, and I love your mom, but so we're not doing well. And what you mean is I, I screwed the wrong person yeah. because I was looking for something that I couldn't find in mom. And I certainly didn't find it in that bed, but it all falls on you. I'm sorry. And you are sorry. I'm not throwing stones at anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, when Jordan started telling me about his his work through isolationism stuff like that, right? Yeah, it's so weird. It's like everything happens on Highway Seven because we're driving back from BW threes and, and it, back to the office. And he said he started doing. It. I went, "Oh, Jordan, I'm I'm so sorry." He goes, "Dad, wait, Dad, you did the best you could. I'm not mad." And I was just like, "I can't believe I'm having this man to man conversation with my son." Mm-hmm. And Crucible made it possible because we have. We have language, and we have tools, and, and we have all— and, and we've worked through some stuff before had that conversation. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. And he was in a better place, and he worked through that place with some other men they trusted, which is why I'm, I'm such a big fan of, of getting men in groups, you know, mm-hmm. whether that's soul groups, whether that's, you know, sitting around a table, you know, on tap or whatever that is going, can, can I just tell—I'm not doing well, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I follow, you know, yesterday I, I had Jordan and Ben and Jesse— up at the cabin, and we had this one moment where he goes, Father's Day moment, we are taking a walk, you know? So we had our pipes, and, a, and we walked up the creek, and we didn't start slamming our wives, but we were kind of going, is anybody else feeling this? I mean, I'm 55. I fathered you, you know? <laughs> and and uh, all that, and we're like, yeah, you know? It's just because, you you know, I, I wouldn't say that to Robin, because she would go, well, what's wrong with me? Yeah. Baby, there's nothing wrong with you. I'm not even looking for anything except... Just another dude to go. Am, me too. Am, 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 me too. Am I alone in this? Yeah. And I'm not going to do anything with it and come back and go. We all voted, and we all think you all should change. You know. <laughs> well, that's not a democracy. <laughs> I would lose that vote. My, that, my, yeah, my, that's not going to go well. So, for me, things started changing. Yeah. I think when it was all a package deal. All right, and that is my life is out of control, and I have no. I, I just think it's always going to be this way, so I have no strategy for anything to change. And so, again, I, it's really timely is that when I shared my financial story on mm-hmm. stage this past weekend, it's all part of the same thing. Yeah. All right? It is, it is keeping plates spinning and living in fear and just trying to keep the, the, the most urgent uh, bill collector slash hottest fire under control. Right? And so... That, that's a whole repenting thing of I got to change the way I live my life. And finances were, you know, spending money that I didn't have something like that. It numbed it until you got the bill. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like, you know. And it's also something that you're able to keep secret from everybody else. Until you can't. Until you can't. And usually that moment when you can't, your house comes falling down, mm-hmm. right? 
So you can keep you can keep an affair, you can keep pornography, you can keep money problems, you can keep addictions, you can keep at all a problem until you get busted. And then the whole world knows. Right. You know? Then like for me, it's on the front page of the paper. Yeah, you know? so So the first time that you spoke about this was over at the feed store. Right. Now we're talking about which part? The financial thing. Yeah. Because I I had just started. Yeah. And you I I sat in the back. I was there for all the services. I think it may have been POC that weekend. Yeah. And just each one going, Oh my gosh, I can't believe he's sharing that with all these people. Because bring, I have my own financial yeah, mess. To bring up any stuff for you? Yeah. Yeah. Um you are one of the first people you not one of you are the first person that I told outside of one trusted couple back in Texas that we had filed bankruptcy. And it's because I was here for an interview. And I just you're telling me about your financial stuff and how you were at the very beginning of mm-hmm. sitting down with Michael, that story you told about going with your box of papers, they weren't even in files. And you're telling me that story, and my heart's racing. I'm going, I have to tell him, because this whole interview process to come up here is over with. I just knew it. Yeah. When I tell my story, I think men feel safe. When I said when I said at all four services past weekend, yeah, so here's what I did. I reached in a drawer, and I found a Discover card I didn't know I had. I went to Chase Bank. I got $9,000 advance at 33% interest. And all the campuses gasped. Uh, yeah. You know? I gasped again, and I knew that story. I've known it for years. You know what? I, there were some. There were a few people going, "Oh, how foolish!" Mm-hmm. I think most of the gasp were, "Ah, oh, I do that." Yeah, you know. And he understands, mm-hmm. right? He understands, yeah. and uh, and everybody's discover cards different. It might yeah. be, yeah, absolutely. That's really, really, yes, absolutely true. And mine was a literal discover card. Yeah. <laughs> You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, and the more you charge, the, the higher the, your limit. Did you know that? Yeah. So, um, I think it all came about when I went, my life is, you know, go to the, the definition of self-control and the opposite. It was a <laughs> storm. I mean, it was just, it yeah. was just stunk. It was a mess. It was like a, a repulsive, but it's like, after a while, you're like, that's just my life. That's what it smells like. And I could hide it for a while, but but I, I was really convicted because I I can't I really I cannot I just cannot stand up there and teach about anything unless I'm at least trying to run after it myself. Mm-hmm. So we launched our building campaign in the two thousand uh, six or seven housing crash. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. what a great time, you know. And because I was transparent and all that kind of stuff. We didn't have any million dollar, you know, uh, you know givers. We some churches, you know, all those marketing people say you have to have this many people give a million dollars, this many people. Right? We had none of that, you know. Right. We had a bunch of really ordinary people give the best that they could, but everybody engaged at some level. You know, all the rich people they were they weren't liquid. I don't even know what that means, right. you know. But and I'm sure it's tied up with debt and all all that kind of stuff and stocks and assets and all that. Um, so we. Then none of that would have happened if I hadn't said, "Okay, full disclosure, I'm, I'm going to ask you to go on a journey, and I will go with you. And here's what mine looks like." Mm, and yeah. then people said, "Okay, then you know that number. The first two questions I was asked when I talked to people about giving money to the building thing is, 
First question were, how, how do we know you'll actually sp spend the money that we give you on the building? Because our last church said that, right. and they spent it on something else. Mm. And my, my, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Because of, of all the churches that I, I have served in, financial integrity has been a big deal. Mm -hmm. You know, Bob Russell back in the Southeast was one of my mentors. I mean, he, he taught me right. so much about Bible teaching and excellence and integrity yeah. and being above reproach. And so, so there's that. So mm -hmm. I, I, I think of what, I learned in that was that, well, those are the moments I think that have bonded me, you know, like I always said, the moment if Flatters had voted on whether Jim could be their pastor or not is when Robin stood up beside yeah. me and the story was life sucks at our house and there is no bow and there's not even a light. Like, like Robin texted me right before we came in here and she's just not feeling well, yeah. you know? So it's not like, and then we prayed a prayer and we had faith. We've had Christians tell us that forever, you know? And, uh, no, it still hurts. She's still really fighting some stuff. And I, you know, I, 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 I'm doing better, you know, mm -hmm. but there's always a trigger that says, run away to the cabin now. Yeah. All right? Because I'm good at it, mm -hmm. right? Now, or run away to, uh, uh, you know, watching my favorite team or run, run away to the gym, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm, I'm decent at that. I'm 55 and not as good as I used to be, but... You, you know, it's like, I, there's this one thing I know I'm pretty good at. Yeah. And so, so go, when Michael and I started on that financial journey, it was a whole balance thing. You, so, because Jesus said, your money is your biggest revealer, mm -hmm. and money's my biggest stressor. The reason I want to ram people in traffic is not because of Robin's depression. It's because my money's out of balance. Right. So, it's my tell, mm -hmm. so to speak. And I can deal with, I can deal with. Robin, I can t deal with kids or grandkids. I can deal with, you know, stupid comments in the lobby or emails, you know, even if they're true. I can, I can deal with all of that. But if, 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 if financial stress hits me or I want, or I'm trying to cover up a financial decision, it brings back, he brings it all back. Yeah. And I get, I get stressed out. So looking at this whole thing about domino effect, about how, these things fall on other people, and they and they kind of continue. There, there is the truth that once the dominoes all fall, you can pick them up and put them back into place. Do you feel like some of that's happening in your life? Like when you're talking about uh, Ali and Jordo doing their own soul work, having these conversations, having Jordan look you in the eye coming down seven and say, "Dad, Dad you know, you know, you did the best you could." Yeah, is doesn't part of that feel like? The dominoes are getting put back into place, or, or what? Uh, yes and no. Yeah. So part of part of Ali and Jordan's journey with Jesus is their own journey. They need to be on anyway, with or without what I did to them, you yeah. know, did right or wrong. You know, I was talking to a stepdad the other day, whose fourteen year old was throwing the "You're not my dad" card on the table, and you, why do you get to speak into my life? And I said, Hey, buddy, um, if you were her biological dad. She just find another card to throw. That's right. You know, so it's like don't. That's that's because she's fourteen mm -hmm. and she's trying to figure out who she is, and she's going to punch the people she loves, even if it's, the, if it's the man who stepped in because her biological dad is a dork. You know, yeah. you you stepped in there. You're going to get the punches. That's called fatherhood. You know, so um, if it's that doesn't change anything. So I think Allie and Jordan would have had their own journeys anyway. Mm -hmm. um, I I love that. I love that they still want Robin and I involved in that journey. Yeah. And we want them involved in ours. And then we're seeing them, you know, it's like I was telling somebody that 
today, earlier today is that I love it when Jonah, our four-year-old, uh, he starts dancing to Jim, Justin Timberlake, but he puts worship music <laughs> lyrics in. <laughs> Or he'll just go, worship. <laughs> like, how, what a little nerd. But how awesome, you know? Yeah. It's like so good. But, um, so there's that. The other thing is, um, are the dominoes coming back into place? Um, I don't know. There's always going to be regret. Mm-hmm. And there's always going to be scars. And there's always going to be the reality and the, and the uh, consequences back there. Like, Robert Brum has forgiven me for going to India and Africa and leaving her in the fetal position or leaving her in a mental hospital yeah. on her birthday while I went and preached to some kids. You know, that, and it really wasn't about because I really needed them to hear the gospel. That's my, he goes, oh, no, 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 that's my job. Yeah. And I've got to do my job, right? So, um, so she's forgiven me, but if, but if she listens to this podcast, it's going to be real quiet at my house for a while. Yeah. Because it's going to bring back a lot of stuff. Sure. And you don't get that over. So I don't know if uh, the dominoes are standing back up. I think new dominoes are coming into place mm. because I, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't look back at my life and go, I'm really glad that I got hurt there. I'm really glad that Robin's had 20, 30 years of migraines and bipolar disorder. And I'm really glad I ran my family into the ground financially. I, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not thankful for it. I'm not. What, <laughs> I, what, I'm, what I'm thankful for is that God doesn't leave me in my mess. He actually can redeem me out of it. And he can have me sit on a stage this past weekend and sit down on a stool and go, let me tell you my story. And the whole room, and I assume the campuses are doing the same thing, they stop breathing because, like, finally somebody's being real about stuff that I deal with every day. You know, I don't deal with that. I don't deal with that. I don't, I'm not going to be a missionary, stuff like that. I can't pay my bills, and my wife doesn't know, and what am I going to do? Because I want to run my tree, my car into a tree. And when the pastor stands up there and goes, I know. Yeah. But if he can redeem my financial mess, all right? Again, if the church could have voted, it would have been Robin said, life's hard at our house. Great. You can be our pastor. Scott would agree with that. Mm-hmm. He stood up there and said, our, my wife had a miscarriage, and our friends had a baby, and part of me wanted them to have a miscarriage. It's like everybody who's gone through miscarriage has thought that. Mm-hmm. I, I, listen, email Dan if you, <laughs> if, yeah. you, if you disagree with me, but it's like you're not being honest. There's, there's that part of being going, why do you get that and not me? And so when I stand up there, so I, I remember hearing this one pastor, and you mentioned him earlier, I'm not going to say it, but he said he's never had any debt, mm. never, not credit card debt, not a car loan debt, you know, and I, I, I wanted to walk out. I remember hearing another pastor one time who said, yeah, you know, today I want to talk about life is hard, and, and he talked about how his wife burnt their homemade bread in the oven, and I was like, this is when my wife would stand up, and you, and we're out of here. Yeah. But she would have, because you don't, you don't, get, you don't want to speak about pain. You have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah. Because you're bred or you don't have any debt or something like that. Let me tell you what. I do. I do. I, I'm in bankruptcy. I'm in, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm telling, I'm leading a church and I'm a financial nightmare. And my wife is in the throes of depression. And when she brings up, I wish I was dead, I kind of agree with her. All right. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, men go, well, you know, I think I fit here pretty well. Yeah. You know, and so I'm not thankful for it. I think he's standing some dominoes up. My, my aha moment, I don't know how long it's supposed to go, but my aha moment, the night before we left for Crucible, before we flew down to Texas, I'm sitting on my back porch, and um, so in the, this has got to be taken in context, because not everybody can get there all at once, and not everybody should. Right. It, so this is after 
40, 40 years of trying to figure out what this all this meant in my life. I looked at my life and all the stuff that had happened to me and that I'd done wrong and all that. And I had this, I'm sitting on my back patio because there's that journaling thing you have to do in questions yeah. and all that. Ugh. And I thought, if the only way to get here, if the only way to get here so that I have this wife and these kids and these grandkids and lead this church, if the only way to get here is the is to take the exact same road that got me here, I would do it again, and I would have it done to me again in triplicate because where I am right now compared to where I was, again, if it's the only way, um, I'd do it. You know, If that's the only way to get this wife who's a really good wife and these kids who love Jesus and love their husband and wife, love their kids and raise their kids and point them at Jesus and then to stand in front of this church and, and say things that would get everybody else fired. You know, and I'm not saying about my bad jokes, but probably should have been fired for that. I'm talking about the Me Too stuff that you go, mm. he's talking about his financial nightmare and you and you thought, oh. yeah, right? Yeah. Or he's talking about the miscarriage or he's talking about the addiction or he's talking about the... I stood up in November and I said, my lead team sat me down and said, Jim, are you drinking too much? I said, no, but I got to pay attention to it because I'm in a dark place right now. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I, every other place I've ever worked, there have been a meeting, an elders meeting right after church going, can you come here? Right? Um, you're done because that's a really negative message and you should be further along in your faith. And, and I would look at my, it, I, I figured it was a matter of time. Yeah. But if, I don't think any other church would hire me. Um, but I don't think I'd ever go to another church because this is a this is a place where I can stand up there and go. I was just going to tell you what's going on. Mm-hmm. I'm an I'm an external processor. Yes, you are. Some people are like that with two or three people. Like, can I just tell you guys what I'm feeling? <laughs> I do it like uh, like in tens of thousands. Yeah. But uh, for some reason, um, it's what we've been waiting on. It's what it's what I. That's what I need from you. Mm-hmm. And that's what I need from somebody sitting across the table from me going. Can we just cut the bullshit and just go right to it? Do you understand what I'm going through? Do you really understand? And do you even care about it? Or do you just think I should do things different or ought to be different or further along in my faith? I agree, but I'm not. So what am I going to do? I guess if I'm going to be in that church, I have to hide it or leave. Yeah. But not here. Even as you're saying that, I'm just reminded of, and this is going to sound really churchy, but I'm just, it just it's sitting on my heart when you're, when Jesus talks about, uh, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, mm-hmm. and everybody leaves, <laughs> except for the disciples, the, the 12. And he goes, are you going to leave too? And they're like, where? What does Peter say? Where else are we going? Where else are we going to go? Who else has words of life? And that's, to me, what God continues to do here. Yeah. And it's because you stand up there and you share your financial shit storm, and you share the struggles that you have at home and everybody can breathe easy because everyone's got a discover card even (laughs) these guys you're talking about they got their discover cards very very few people are brave enough to to do that yeah he's a brave man so I know this I am in an enviable position I get to spend a lot of time with Jim Bergen. I mean, he's my boss, he's family, and he's my dive buddy, which honestly is our own little personal code for best friend. But here's the thing. I probably know Jim better than just about anybody, short of Robin, Allie, and his son, Jordan. 
And the truth is, I know firsthand just how brave he is and how he leads from his weakness and brokenness and the dominoes that are tipped over every weekend around here. Jim and Robin live out this truth like no one else I know and echo what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12 when Jesus told Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. More dominoes. Weakness, falling into God's grace, which falls over into power, which falls over into perfection. Perfect, in the true biblical definition of perfect, which means complete, whole, and as God intended. I know that many of you have set off the same dominoes that Jim talked about today, but are you leaning into Jesus with your weakness? Are you opening yourselves up to the power that can only come through that? As Jim said today, finding a safe, trusted group of men to share your weakness with, that's a great way to tap into that power. Whether that's finding or starting a small group on Flatirons Connect or stopping in one of the many Flatirons on TAPS or starting your own wake-up call discussion group, do yourself a favor. Make that decision. Be intentional. Tip over that first domino and see where God leads you next. Next week, Mark and Cheryl Miller are here with their son Alex to share their story of the hard journey they walked through with Kyle Miller, their son and brother. I was in a dead sleep and then all of a sudden, you know, I wake up to my mom just, I mean, like a scream I've never heard before, you know, just the worst scream that you could imagine. And uh, I woke up to her screaming, call 911, Alex, call 911. So I'm like looking everywhere for a phone and I find the house phone and I call 911. Two minutes later, I hear the gunshots. Please join us next week for this emotional and heart-wrenching story with the Millers. This is Dan Foote, and this is Wake Up Call, the Flatirons podcast for men.